Good evening and welcome to the Overtime Heroics Baseball Podcast, Cheap Seats Chatter. I'm today's host, Matthias altman Kurosaki, and with me, as always, from the Pacific Northwest, we have Alex Clark. Alex, first things first, how are we doing on this fine Monday evening? Honestly, you know, I'm doing fantastic today. I had a good day at work and now getting ready to talk some good sports news, especially since we're not doing a versus this time because we actually have news to talk about. We have cool things to talk about all the way ranging from signings to even the Hall of Fame ballots. We're going to get to all those in a little bit, but also need to know, Mac, how are you doing, man? I'm doing all right. You know, I, I am home for Thanksgiving. Uh, yesterday, I competed in my first uh, swim meet uh, since March. I took home four first place finishes in the 18 to 24 age group. So feeling pretty good about myself. I will say that uh, competing nowadays is much tougher now that I'm not a full-time athlete. So, you know, it hurt, but it was a fun time. So, yeah, and I'm, I'm just, I'm just glad to be home for a little bit. You know, it's been a pretty uh, grueling semester and now I finally do get a bit of a break. So I'm feeling pretty good actually. And, and I got my uh, COVID booster today. Yay, staying safe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although, to be fair, yeah. now your arm hurts like hell. <laughs> yeah, my arm does hurt. It, it's 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 not good. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. But anyways, yeah, you mentioned we actually are off to a bit of a fast start in the offseason, unlike last year, you know, where it took a bit to get things going. This year, offseason, we are off and running. And the first thing we're going to talk about is the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. And, man, they are – they're taking all those Mets pitchers, it seems like. First, they give Noah Syndergaard a one-year, $21 million contract. Then today they announced they signed Aaron Loop to a two-year, $17 million contract. You know, those are two, I'd say, ambitious signings. Alex, what are your thoughts on these deals? So there's one big – there's one huge word that I associate both these deals with, and that word is risk. There is a lot of risk in both of these deals, yet they are paying out a lot of I mean, These are high-risk, high-reward type of deals right now where they are paying out a lot of money, but the dividends that they get from it could be incredible. You take a look at a guy, again, the first one of them, let's talk about the bigger name, in my opinion. That's Noah Syndergaard. Syndergaard, as a pitcher overall, is one of when he is healthy, one of the most electrifying arms in baseball. There's a reason why they call him Thor. He's electric. But the problem is that, what I said beforehand, that if he stays healthy, he has not been able to do that. I mean, taking a look at his career overall, he did a pretty good job staying healthy in 2019, did not play at all in 2020, and in 2021 pitched a grand total for your New York Mets of two innings. For getting hurt, he was done for. And it was, it was, it's kind of sad because he's a guy that, again, when he is on, he is one of the best in baseball. But the problem is that he just isn't on very often. So paying him a lot of money, again, we saw this was a one year deal. Again, yeah, a one year deal worth, what was it? How much money again? 21 million. 21 million for one year. There's, I get that they're going for the one year. Like, all right, let's see how you do. But you're throwing a lot of money that if he does not even, if he pitches the same that he did in 2021, you literally just threw away $21 million. Like, what, what do you want? So then 
then bring in Aaron Loop. Aaron Loop had himself a fantastic 2021 for your Mets. Again, 56 and two-thirds innings pitched, a ERA of sub-1, a sub-1 ERA of 0.95. That's fantastic. And you can't really get much better than that. Also, a strikeout, uh, a strikeout per nine of, what, 9.1? Like, that's really good. On average, that means, again, one strikeout per inning overall for a reliever that's exactly what you're looking for so the problem here again with him is that he's also had some really rocky years as well over the last few he's actually done pretty okay pretty good overall except in 2019-2018 where he didn't pitch at all in fact we're between the two years of combined seven and a third innings pitched but then, you know, had some other rocky years after that, as well before that. And this year and the year before, really where he kind of started to take that step forward. So now they're paying, this one makes a little more sense to me than the Norris Syndergaard one, just because you know a little bit more about what you're getting. Two years, $17 million. Like, this, both of these deals just scream high risk to me. They can pay off in strides, but if they don't, the Angels are going to have a hard time competing in an already kind of weak overall AL West. Yeah, so I'm going to echo some of your concerns. I mean, I, I understand the intentions behind both of these deals. And also, we're talking about the Angels, which, you know, as a lot of their fans will lament and fans around baseball will, their pitching has not been good. You know, they're, they, they, they struggle with that outside of Shohei Otani. You know, Syndergaard, and I know a lot of Mets fans were, have, are, were you know, harping on Syndergaard for, you know, because there was this whole impression that he was going to stay in New York, that he wanted to be in New York. I mean, same with Aaron Loop. But, you know, I can't blame him for taking this contract. I understand that, you know, the impression was that he was going to take the qualifying off. And yeah, you know, 18.4 million is already enough of a risk for a guy who only pitched two innings last year. You know, like you said, it's high risk, but it's also high reward. You know, when he's healthy, he's great. You know, 2016, uh, which was his best year, he did 2.60 ERA and led the majors with a 2.29 FIP. Plus, he finished eighth in Cy Young voting. And he even garnered some MVP votes and he was an all star. So you see that, but then, you know, in 2019, he pitched through a torn UCL all year. And while he was able to pitch 197 innings, his ERA shot up to 4.28. So you see what happens when he's not healthy is that he's struggling. You know, I, I, I really can't blame him for betting it on himself and taking the one-year $21 million contract. I think – some uh, the other option for the Mets was to offer him maybe a three-year deal, where it was about you know it'd be less than the qualifying offer in annual value, but it'd be you know longer length. So I think the Angels, you know, it's not a bad idea to sign a guy like Syndergaard who you know could be an ace when he's healthy, but it's really going to come down to can he stay healthy, you know? And as for Aaron Loop, you know, coming off nothing short of an amazing season i mean he said a 0.95 era you know 57 strikeouts and 56 and two-thirds innings a 0.935 whip i mean this was easily the best year of his career the only red flag with him is that he's really 
you know, well, before the three batter minimum got implemented, he was more of a, you know, a lefty specialist. He'd come in, face just, you know, the lefties because he's a side army lefty. But, you know, he's also turning 34 in a couple weeks. And relievers are also very volatile. So it's it's not a bad signing, and I'm very happy for him, but it also does carry a fair amount of risk because, I mean, God forbid he reverts back to what he was, you know, in, in 2017, 2018, when ZRA was over, you know, close to four or even above four, then the Angels will be in trouble and they're going to be on the hook for eight, eight to nine million dollars a year. So it's both these signings carry risk, but they also do carry, you know, high reward, I think. So overall, not bad signings by the Angels, but they're they're definitely both bold. I will say that. Uh, yeah, that's but that's kind of the thing right now is that if you're the Angels right now, I understand the idea of it fully because right now you're in a division where you really need to strike. You have the American League unanimous MVP in Shohei Otani. You have Mike Trout, who is the best player in baseball, and you need pitching. You're going to have to pay a little bit more of a premium for it, but in, in an American League West division that the Seattle Mariners – have a legitimate chance of winning in 2022. You've got to try and capitalize. The Astros, they're good. Don't get me wrong. They're still very good, but they are going to be a little bit depleted until we see how more of the free agent signings are going to, going to pan out, especially losing Carlos Correa. Although I'm seeing some talks that maybe they try to get Trevor Story to fill that, uh, fill that void. But it's going to be interesting because the American League West is going to have a lot of legs in that race. I think a lot of people can already kind of rule out the Rangers. The A's, I've learned to never rule out because somehow they will always find Magic uh, Magic Demon energy to try and always find their way into the playoffs. You have the Astros that are the Magical Demon energy to find their way into the playoffs. And then you have the Seattle Mariners who have a curse that need to be broken. That division is up for grabs. So if you're the Angels taking a few high risk moves, maybe that's what's needed to try and take that winning divi- to try and win that division. Yeah, and I th- I think they realize that you know it's it's definitely uh, it's not out of the realm of possibility that they try to win the division next year. You know they they have talent on their roster. You know when they're healthy, their lineup is pretty good. It's just that pitching staff has been so disappointing, it seems. So, you know, I, th- I think this is the right strategy. I think you do sometimes have to take risks. And so they're doing just that. But anyways, moving on, we had another big signing this evening. Anthony DiSquafani coming off of arguably the best year of his career is heading back to the Giants on a three-year, $39 million contract. No, he's coming out, uh, off a very strong year. Uh, Alex, what are your thoughts on this deal? So I would actually like to tell a quick story uh, on this with Anthony DiSclefani. So for those of you that know, I play a lot of MLB The Show. I love it. Play the game all the time. Uh, Definitely solve problems with the game. Anyway, not the point. At the beginning of the year, I was buying a lot of Anthony DiSclefani cards because I thought, you know, maybe he could be growing a little bit. And he started to show that kind of steady improvement. And by the end, I made a lot of stubs on him as he just kept rising up the ranks to finally finishing the season as a gold-tier player. Scafani, I look at this guy, and he really emerged in 2021. He's 
he's had some good years, but after a 2020 shortened season that saw him end the season with a 7.22 ERA, that's a problem. That's a very big problem. And then the year beforehand, a 3.89 solid ERA, but nothing incredible. This was by far his best year. He had a really good 2016 campaign. Don't get me wrong. Very, very, very good 2016 campaign. But in that time, only pitched 123 innings. This time, he bumped it up to nearly 170 with even a couple of shutouts thrown in there. This is a very big deal for him. And this is a time for uh, Disclafani where he really needed to take advantage of his position. Took advantage of being able to say, all right, I've had this great year. I, this is my first year with this team. Let's see if we can cash out on it. And cash out he did. Again, three years, $36 million. So that works out to $12 million a year. So, I mean, you look at that, and that's that's a pretty darn good payday for a guy that has never made above $6 million a year. So it's another kind of high risk, I think. But I feel like this is a little less high risk than uh, we would say from either of the two moves from the Angels signing Syndergaard and Loop. I think it's a good move overall, especially since he is, you know, he's still pretty young overall. What, he's only, he's 31? Not very young, but he's in that kind of prime of his career. If he can keep that going for the next three years and even be a solid number two, number three starter, I feel like this is going to be a really good deal for San Francisco. Yeah, I like this contract too. You know, I think, you know, He's coming off a year where he had a 3.17 ERA, which was the best in his career. You know, 167 two-thirds innings, struck out 152, which is a career high. Giving him 8.2 Ks per nine. So, so solid overall. You know, uh, his home run rate will always be a bit of an issue. But I think pitching in a more of a pitcher's ballpark like San Francisco, again, will help that out. You know, I think overall he's coming off, you know, I, I – I think it is fair to say that this is the best year of his career. It's the most complete year of his career. And like you said, he also threw two complete games and uh, was tied for the major league lead with two shutouts. So overall, I don't see much wrong with this, you know, a 13 million a year. Yeah. It was three years, 39 million. So not a bad, not a bad payday for him. Also not a bad deal for the Giants. I think this is a win-win for both sides. So, yeah, I think I think it's definitely – it was definitely a good signing, and I think he will uh, he will continue to improve. I think, you know, it's not like they're they're giving him a ridiculous amount of con- uh, amount of money for a, for a career year. So, um, anyway, moving on, the big, the big topic is the – New Hall of Fame ballot was dropped today, and there are some very interesting names on the ballot. Obviously, you have the returners, but we have some new players added to the ballot, which include Carl Crawford, Prince Fielder, Ryan Howard, Tim Linscum, Justin Morneau, Joe Nathan, David Ortiz, Jonathan Pavelbon, Jake Peavy, AJ Pierzynski, Alex Rodriguez, Jimmy Rollins, and Mark Teixeira. Alex, that's a ton of talent right there. You know, who who really sticks out and who do you think maybe has a shot at Cooperstown? So, of the first years, I feel like there's a couple of names that really jump off the page. And there are two rivals that 
also now work with alongside each other. And that's Alex Rodriguez and David Ortiz. I feel like those are the two names that people are really going to be kind of focusing on this Hall of Fame season. And for, I mean, for obvious reasons, you look at David Ortiz, he's one of the best DHs to ever play the game. Notice how I didn't say the best, but I uh, still got still to represent my boy, Edgar, but he's one of the greatest and he's one of the best, best personalities that the game has ever known as well. And I do think there's a legitimate shot he does get in first ballot. I don't want him to because of very biased reasons, but you know, he does deserve it overall. I will say though, that there are two names that kind of go hand in hand on this one and for different reasons, but very similar at the same time. It'll make sense when I say it. Barry Bonds and Alex Rodriguez. I've already said A-Rod once, but I'm saying it here for this comparison. This is the final year on the ballot for Barry Bonds. And a lot of people think that just by looking at the stats, Barry Bonds should have been almost a first balloter. And just look at the stats, you're probably right except with everything else that you take into it. And it's going to be very similar when it comes to A-Rod. A-Rod has had himself a career that will be remembered forever. But again, there's everything else that goes into it. There's his steroid use. There is the allegations of how he was as a person on top of everything. Those are things that kind of kept Jeff Kent off of being about as well. I look at this and there are some names that I really want to see make the, make the, uh, the hall of fame. There's some that I'm not so sure about, but I do want to kind of make note that this is really good. Considering that last year, there was not a whole lot of great first year talent on the ballot this year. You have some of the biggest names in baseball coming up in Ortiz in Rodriguez. So as well as, you know, I, I want to give a little bit of love. I know he's not going to make it this year, and more than likely, I don't know if he will ever make it as much as I wanted to. Prince Fielder also making onto the ballot. Again, a career tragically cut short, but still, in my opinion, one of the best mashers the, that the game has ever seen. Plus also the fact that him and his dad Cecil both finished with the exact same amount of home runs. I, th- I think just shows that there's, some, there's something going on with the baseball gods. Yeah, I mean, I was I was a huge Prince Fielder fan when he was playing. I mean, the guy you could just tell loved playing baseball, and his teammates loved him. And it was just so disappointing to see his career cut short. I mean, he had to retire at the age of 32. That's just – you just wish that that never happened. I mean, I mean, yes, he finished with 319 homers, but he could have easily, I think, gotten towards like 500 if he had stayed healthy, I mean, that's just, that's just a disappointment beyond, you know, all that. I mean, also another guy, I mean, Tim Linscombe, talk about falling off. I don't know. I mean, this was a guy who won back-to-back Cy Young Awards in 2008 and 2009. And then again, just like Fielder was out of baseball by the age of 32. So, you know, that, those are two, you know, two guys who maybe could have had Hall of Fame chances, but really fell off. And then there's also a guy like Ryan Howard, who just like Fielder was one of the best power hitters in baseball. I mean, he had 198 home runs from 2006 to 2009, but then he also, you know, dealt with injuries and regressed hard. So 
there's guys like that, but I really do want to focus on A-Rod and David Ortiz because a lot of people will, you know, focus on the steroids, you know, how both of them were accused of using steroids and, you know, Big Poppy admitted that he used steroids in a press conference in 2009. But, you know, he also did a lot of great things for the Red Sox and for the city of Boston. I feel like when you take into consideration also what a great guy he was, you know, he owned up to his mistakes. You know, he he handled the scenario very well, I think, while A-Rod sort of, you know, denied it until he eventually did get caught. You know, I think both these players, I think, in my book, I think both these players should get into the Hall of Fame. But I think one thing that voters might keep in mind is that, you know, Ortiz owned up to his mistakes. And he also was a great ambassador for the game. So I'm, I am not sure what's going to happen with either of these two. I think, you know, I, I personally think they both should get in. But, I mean, Alex, do, do you think – I mean, what, what are your thoughts on these guys potentially getting in? Because I also am one of those guys who thinks that Clemens and Bond should be getting in. So overall, I'll keep this right now to um, to Ortiz and A-Rod. I think Ortiz is going to get in. I think the voters are going to say, okay, you know what? He's owned up to his mistakes. He's done a lot of good for the game. He was a great player. I think he deserves it. Do I think he gets in first ballot? There's a chance, but I don't think so. At least I'm kind of hoping not just for my own Edgar Martinez pride again. But at the same time, when it comes to A-Rod, that question is a lot more difficult. Yes, he was a great player. Yes, he did this. And yes, he did that. But at the same time, you have all of these other concerns that really hurt his eligibility. I think it's going to take A-Rod longer but I do think he's going to get in. It's going to be, in my opinion, kind of a sad day at Cooperstown when he does. But at the same time, I think he is going to make it. Overall, there are some names on this ballot that definitely deserve it. And that kind of brings up to a very interesting question. Maybe we could talk about this at least a little bit. How much should character concerns and off-the-field problems, how much should that be considered? with looking at the Hall of Fame and their eligibility for that. Because if you want to go just by pure stats, yeah, technically Barry Bonds deserves it, and he probably would be a first balloter. But at the same time, there's a reason why he's not there right now. And there's a reason why this is his final year on the ballot and why he's still on the ballot nine years later. Yeah, it's – I mean, it's tough because you also have guys like Kurt Schilling – you know, who have clearly, you know, not done themselves any favors. And, you know, you mentioned Jeff Kent, like him too. It's it's really tough because these are players who have the stats to get in, but if they aren't popular with the media, then they're going to struggle very mildly. You know, I would have voted for Kurt Schilling, but after what he did last year, where he even asked the committee to remove himself from the ballot, I'm not sure I would give him my vote anymore. You know, it's, it's just hard to defend you know, all the whining he's done. So, 
you know, character, I feel like could factor in, but it really, it really depends, you know, on like how, how I'm trying to think of the word, you know, how bad was it? Like, you know, did they just make like, like, you know, were they just bad people, you know, like it, it really, it really depends because, you know, I, I understand what you're saying, though, about guys like Bonds and A-Rod, too. I mean, I, I've heard that I, I've heard rumors that, you know, or not rumors. It, it's been published that Barry Bonds was not a great teammate necessarily. And same with A-Rod, from what I've heard. You know, that's why the Mets, the Mets were concerned about that when they were looking at him in free agency. They had heard that he was a bad teammate. You know, Roger Clemens also didn't necessarily have a great reputation as a person so it's it, it's really tough i mean you want to talk about another guy i mean jonathan papelbon who's on the ballot i really think jonathan papelbon uh had he stayed the course i think he would have had a shot at the hall of fame you know and i'm not just you know yes he fell off in washington but he was also you know there's the incident where he choked bryce harper you know, there was just, just he had famous blowups, you know, with umpires and stuff like that. You know, I think, you know, his personality almost got in the way of his playing abilities. So, man, it, that's a really tough one because on one hand, it's like you get into the Hall of Fame for what you did on the field. But I feel like if you're not a great person off the field, or maybe you're also not a great person on the field, then it does it does hurt your chances big time to get in and to get votes. Well, so here I'll, I'll play a little devil's advocate on that side. I'll, or should say in this point, cause I'm arguing for good manners. Maybe it's not devil's advocate regardless. I'm going to argue that it matters a lot. And the reason for it is that when you're in the hall of fame, it's because you are famous for what you do. You are one of the best at it. And in my opinion, in my humble opinion, the best players also bring each other up. Would you agree to that, Matt? Because I feel like that's another thing that could be controversial because it's not your direct stats, it's other people's direct stats. Well, yeah, and I, I do agree with you to a certain extent. It's just also there are players in the Hall of Fame who were also not great people. You know, mm. it's, it, it, it's really tough because you want to recognize someone's great accomplishments but at the same time, if, if, you know, you also want to acknowledge who they are as human beings, which makes things a lot tougher because sometimes, you know, you can be a star athlete. And this goes for everything. You can be a star athlete. You can be, I don't know, you could be like a complete genius, you know, but if you're not a great person, it's kind of will cloud how people think about what people think about you. So that that's that that's difficult that's a really tough call because i know that his it has cost a lot of players votes i know not just guys like Schilling and you know a rod bonds like i know billy wagner admitted like you know he was kind of black and white with the media because of that he thinks he caught he's cost himself votes so yeah that's that's a tough one so here's what i'll say with it i think that the mark of a great leader is someone who makes others better the mark of a great player is someone that makes others better. Yes, there are people that are bad people that are in the Hall of Fame. But at the same time, I think that now as we've gotten into some of these, 
kind of ideal ideals here, especially now here in the year 2021, we can start to kind of, you know, judge based on more things like that. And I'm not saying that if you're a horrible person, you don't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is that if you are a good player as well, if you are a good person on the end of it, that should maybe help out your case a little bit. Because on that one, being able to lift up other people is a good time. And I'm not talking about lifting up other people by their neck, Pavel Bond. Look, I look at this and I see these players that just really were bad people but were great players. You know that in the clubhouse, they caused their team's problems. As that was very evident on a lot of ways. And it's not even just the media. It's also talk about how well you treat other players in the dugout, Pavel Bond. But you see these, you can tell I'm kind of fixated on one player here. I look at these guys, and especially when it comes to A-Rod, he was very well known for kind of being a kind of being a jerk for a while. He was actually, there are all times where later on, uh later on in his career, he actually really did mellow out a bit. But at the same time, like also with how he dealt with the steroid allegations and the fact that he did get caught. Yes. Yes, uh, Ortiz got caught, but he at least owned up to it. He owned up to it, and he admitted that he had made a mistake, whereas A-Rod basically just kept denying it and denying it until he could not deny it no more. (laughs) So I think that overall, when it comes to the Hall of Fame, I think that being a good person and being a great teammate should count for something. And Do I think it should take away votes from others? No, but it will inherently take away votes because other players that may have not been as great of players, but were better teammates, but still great players in their own right. will take away votes from those guys just naturally. You know, the other thing that, and you mentioned it with A-Rod and I've, and with Ortiz and I, I can talk about this until I'm blue in the face. You know, we, we talk about the steroid users, you know, we should keep them out of the hall of fame and stuff like that. Then we look and we see that Bud Sealing, the man who turned a blind eye to all of this, and really he benefited from all from the steroids. I mean, you saw it with the home run race in 1998. You know, on Barry Bonds, you know his great success. But Bud Sealing benefited from all that, and he, and he let it happen, and he's in the Hall of Fame. So if he's in the Hall of Fame, you might as well let everybody in the Hall of Fame, in my opinion. I mean, he he allowed it. I mean, I think that Ortiz should get in. A-Rod should get in. I think Clemens, Bonds, Sosa, Sheffield, Manny, you know, all those guys at least should have a chance to get in. And I know that he's not on the ballot anymore, but Mark McGuire also and Rafael Palmero. I mean, I think it's just kind of ridiculous at this point to hold them out for using steroids. And plus the other argument that I'll also make until I'm blue in the face that taking steroids does not automatically make you better. You still have to put in some work, you know, you can't take steroids and then sit around doing nothing until game time. I mean, look at all the the guys who took, who were in the Mitchell report and then, and didn't even make the majors. I mean, it's, it's kind of ridiculous at this point, I think to hold players out because the PEDs, I mean, yes, in some ways it is cheating, but at the same time, they just happened to be better than everyone else at doing what they were doing. I mean, that that's the the easiest way to put it, in my opinion. And you can disagree with me all you want, but 
that I, I see no reason to keep those guys out. I mean, real, really, I think it's kind of ridiculous. Um, I mean, yeah, we we've had this discussion before on on air, in fact, multiple times. So, I mean, we're, I think we're always going to have our differences when it comes, especially to steroid use. But at the same time, I think that overall, when it comes to these players, there's a lot of very interesting storylines that we really have to follow going into, especially I think the biggest one, just kind of throwing this out there. The biggest one for me is we've talked so much about Barry Bonds and whether he deserves to be in. This is his final year on the ballots. Normally that means that in the last year you get a big bump and that helps with your candidacy. And with the bump that you got last year, there's a decent shot that he makes it, but there is one problem for Bonds. And that is the fact that players like Ortiz and Rodriguez and even players, you know, like Fielder, Crawford even, Ryan Howard, Papelbon are all making their jump to the ballot, which could theoretically take votes away from him. So I'm going to ask you this question very directly here, Mac. Does Bonds get into the Hall of Fame this year? Because it's now or never asterisk the Veterans Committee. Man, this is so difficult to answer because in my opinion, like I've said, there's no doubt in my mind that he should get into the Hall of Fame. Will he actually get in? Uh, it's man, this is so tough because I'm looking back, and I mean, he's gotten some. He's gotten, you know, a fair amount of support in recent years, but he also. You know, obviously, he's not made it to. He hasn't made. He hasn't made it to, the, to the seventy-five percent threshold yet. Last year, he got sixty-one point eight percent. That was the, the largest total he's garnered. I'm gonna say. That, barely. Barry Bonds gets in the Hall of Fame this year. I think that. He will get, you know, while there is a lot of talent coming onto the ballot, there's also a lot of, you know, Hall of Very Good type players. You know, guys like like Mark Teixeira, Joe Nathan, and Jake Peavy. You know, like and like you said, other guys like, you know, Papelbon, Crawford, you know, Howard, Fielder. I think because of that, it'll give uh, voters – enough reason to vote bonds over other players. So I think he does get in. It's going to be very close though. So what did you say that his percentage was last year? You said it was like 61. Yeah. Yeah, 61.8. Okay. Yeah. So, cause you need what what was it? 70 to get into the hall of fame. 75. 75. That is a very big jump that he's going to need to make 14%. Sorry, 13 to 14% is not easy to make. So he is going to get a big jump this year. But I'm going to go on the opposite end. I'm going to say he doesn't get it. I'm going to say he doesn't. And it's not because I don't think that he's not worthy. I do think he is. But the fact that he was only at 61% last year, there's so much of a stigma around him. And there are these other names that are now being on the ballots. 
I think that's going to take away just enough votes for him, and he's going to finish short. I think he's going to get a big bump here, and he's going to finish at 72%. And it's going to be just shy, and then the Veterans Committee is going to make their decision on whether or not he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, and we'll go from there. So my one last question that sort of tie this whole, uh, uh, this whole discussion together is, with the, the ballot now released, I, I know this might be sort of putting you on the spot. What players are you vote? Would if you had a vote, which players would you vote for? And this goes for re- returners and and newcomers. So yeah, you very much are putting me on the spot. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. Um, <laughs> that's tough because we're up to vote for up to ten players, and I am fully of the belief that you use all ten. Because all, everybody that's on this list, had there's at least a reason for them to be in the Hall of Fame. Do they all deserve it? No. But there's at least a reason. So I'm going to use my 10 votes. And I'm going to just kind of talk throughout, talk through some of them. First person that I'm putting on this list here. Wow, it's already tough. I'm on number one and I'm having trouble. I'm going to put David Ortiz on the list. Is he my number one choice? No, but I think he's there. I'm going to put Jeff Kent. On the list at two, I'm going to put Gary Sheffield, three, Billy Wagner, four, Omar Vizquel, five. Um, no, because I want to have fun. Let's put Prince Fielder, six. Let's do... Eh, why not? Let's put uh, Tim Linscombe, seven. We'll do... Hmm. Scott Rowland, eight, Tory Hunter, nine, and Barry Bonds, 10. I have so, a wait lot a, wait, of, pro- hold on. I have a, a lot of problems with Bonds. I have a lot of problems with Barry Bonds because of the whole steroid usage. All that. Which okay. again, I don't have a problem with, I don't have a problem with, with yes. steroid usage. We've talked about this. It has what I have a problem with is that he cheated knowing the rule. That's my problem with everything. Yes, the rule is bad. Yes, the rule needs to be changed. But you still did it. You still broke the rule when you know it was a rule. Okay. Here's my question though: is that you're putting Bonds on there, but what about Roger Clemens? I mean, didn't didn't Clemens say he didn't want to be on there? No, no, that that's who, who what Schilling said. Oh, that was Schilling. Oh, might be. Um, because I feel like if you vote for Bonds, how can you not vote for Clemens? Uh, to be fully honest, I thought Clemens was the one that said I don't want to be on the ballot. Uh, okay, no, sorry. Look, you put me on the spot. All right, Mac. Uh, that's so, what I'm here for. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I probably then would put Clemens on. Um, who would I take off then? I think I'd probably take off. Well, actually, I don't even know what I'd take off at that point. Um, yeah, I mean, I probably would put him on. I don't know who I'd take off, though. And that's the hard ballot. part with the 10-player the, the limit. you know. And I, I think, think we do have to get rid of that. I think overall I would probably take off... I'd probably take off Scott Rowland. But I don't, like, again, that's one of those ones that 
it's a hard choice of which one to take off. If you're going to put Clem on, I also could very well just say no on Clem, but since it is his last year, I'd probably give him the vote. Yeah, so, you know, the, the hard part is, like, yeah, there's a lot of, like, a lot of the newcomers are, like, Hall of Very Good, you know. Jimmy Rollins, I know some, some people consider him a Hall of Famer, but I don't think so because he falls short of a lot of the benchmarks for shortstops. You know, and you, you, you look at it, you have a lot of guys who, you know, Justin Morneau was also a very good player. You know, same with, you know, almost everyone. I mean, even A.J. Pruszynski was an all-star at one point. I mean, the talent is there. It's just a lot of these guys I don't think are necessarily Hall of Fame caliber. But the guys who I'd vote for, I have Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Todd Helton, Jeff Kent, David Ortiz, Manny Ramirez, Alex Rodriguez, Gary Sheffield, Billy Wagner. Those are the guys that I'd vote for. It's it, it's not easy because you do have to limit yourself in terms of how many players you can vote for. But I think that, you know, the, these are the – oh, and, and Scott Rowland. I forgot to mention him. I, th- I think those 10 right there are the most deserving. And I understand I voted for a lot of steroid users. But like I said, you might as well let them in. So a lot of guys who I think also are on the fringe for me, I think Bobby Abreu is definitely right there. Uh, Andy Pettit's close. I think same with Sammy Sosa. And uh, I think Mark, Mark Burley also. Mark Burley and Tim Hudson, I think, are also on the fringe for me. So. And Andrew Jones. Andrew Jones, I think, it's borderline, but, man, it's so tough because they limit you to only 10 players. I think that that's what costs a lot of players' votes is that 10-person limit. I really think they have to change that, in my my opinion. I mean, I'm not sure if you agree necessarily, but I think only 10 votes is kind of restrictive. I agree. Um, I agree also with that. My thing that why I kind of like the 10 at least is that we're trying to also make sure we keep the hall of fame as the hall of fame, not just the hall of very good. And I do think that a lot of these players are deadly hall of fame worthy. And so the 10 is a little bit restrictive, especially since we're always going to have a little bit more of a bias towards the players that it's their last year on the ballots. Uh, Cause we're also going to try and vote for them so then they can get in. But at the same time, like, I want to be able to vote for more people. I don't want to have to, to cut off Scott Rowland or cut off Prince Fielder for just so then Cle, uh, Clements, who is in his 10th year, can also get in. I do think overall that um, we, I think we should have more than 10, but we also want to make sure we don't add it too far. So then it becomes an everyone gets in type situation. And I think that's a fair statement. I mean, it's, it is tough because, like, it is the Hall of Fame. It is not the Hall of Very Good. I mean, there are a lot of players who've had very good careers, but they aren't necessarily, you know, good enough to get, you know, enshrined in Cooperstown. So it's tough. And I think that goes for all sports. I mean, it, it makes it makes things very difficult. But anyways, I think that brings us to the end of our show. Alex, any other final thoughts on anything we've discussed today? The MLB Hot Stove League is already getting turned on preheat with the moves that we've seen with Desclafani, with Aaron Loop, Syndergaard, the other ones that we've seen so far. 
I think that we're going to see a lot happen within the next couple of months. We're going to see some teams really start to emerge as big name contenders after guys like Carlos Correa, uh, Marcus Simeon all get signed. So there's going to be a lot of news to talk about coming up very soon. But right now, I think like I'm gonna ask you one quick question here. I, I just want I just need like a one to two word response unless you want to go into it a little bit. And I'm gonna put you on the spot slightly here, but this one's a little bit easier. Do you think that the Angels are winners or losers when it comes to making these deals? Do you think that this de- that these are going to help them out in the long run, or are they gonna fall flat on their face for them? I, I would say they're winners actually, because you know they they know what they need to get. And so far they have signed players that they needed. So I, I think they're winners so far, at least we, we, we will get the final answer when these two uh, uh, take the field for them. Well, I mean, to be fair, we'll get uh, at least an answer of how much more valuable uh, Noah, Noah Syndergaard is to the angels after he finishes his first four innings. But at that point, you know, that's really all I have to say. I do think they are winners overall, especially if they can stay healthy because the pit, the biggest problem that the Angels have had for years is no pitching, and it looks like they're trying to kind of nip that in the bud right now. Yeah, and I give them a ton of credit for doing what they're doing. I mean, they're being aggressive, and, you know, God forbid we have a, a work stoppage, a work stoppage, on December 2nd, I mean, they know that there, there is a chance we don't get very deep into the offseason. So I commend them for doing what they're doing, even if it is very risky. But anyways, that's going to do it for us tonight. Uh, you can follow myself on Twitter at Matthias underscore A underscore K. You can follow Alex at the Sports Guy 242. Make sure to follow the Chief Seats Chatter Twitter account at OTH underscore Chief Seats and the baseball department Twitter account at baseball underscore OTH. Make sure to keep tuning in all off season long. We'll be talking all hot stove stuff and we'll be doing some verses. So lots to discuss. Anyways, thank you for listening. Thank you to Alex for joining. My name is Matthias Alman Kurosaki. I've been today's host. I hope to hear you hear from you real soon.